0: In my day to day Every single moment Lord I need your grace Let it wash right
1: over me Maybe not by might You will fight my battles Maybe not by sight We'll see your victory. I right, sing. I know. And how I.
0: Giants fall. I know
1: the giant.
0: this uh, together. Psalm 100. You can look at the screens. You know, we don't do this very often, so it might be kind of clunky, but let's just try it. Ready? Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us. We are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Yeah.
1: There is no striving. There's only rest. There is no adding to all you've done for us. All right, no performance, and there's no performance, no need for us.
0: We're going to receive an offering this time. from the the Baptist when he sees Jesus he says there he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world he must become greater and I must become less we gather here this morning to to lift up high the name of Jesus to boast about the things that he's he's done in our lives we say Lord be magnified in us be glorified with our lives Jesus thank you for your presence right here in this room today. We ask that we would, uh, our lives would be marked by it, by marked by your presence, your nearness, your whispers, your word. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Pray in Jesus name. Amen. Hey, before you have a seat, why don't you say hi to someone around you?
2: All right. Good morning, Crossroads. My name's Tim Bassett. I'm the resident equipping pastor here. And in just a few minutes, we get the wonderful privilege to invite some families up to dedicate their children here. Part of our family. I hope we get excited about that. Now yeah, before that, real quick, something we're not always quite as excited about, just a couple announcements. Hey. These are important dates on our church calendar that we want you to be aware of. I hope you pull out your calendars on your phone or write down if you, we still do that, grab a pencil, take notes of these dates. Um, We've got some exciting stuff coming up here in 2020. The first one is we've got our On Mission class, November, that's not November, I believe that's February. uh, February 3 and 10 at 9 a.m., crushing it here. Uh, 3 and 10 of February. Guys, if you haven't taken part in the On Mission class, look, we've been singing some uh, songs this morning that say, your kingdom come among us, your will be done within us, on earth as it is in heaven. And we say, Christ be magnified in me. We're singing these words. And what we wanna do as a church and what we've been doing and what Rod's been doing for us is putting scripture, right, to that vision, and then giving you as our body tangible opportunities to grow and mature in our faith to step into that mission and the on mission class is one awesome way to do that if you haven't done it get involved that first week you're going to be able to take some personality tests some spiritual gifting tests you're going to get to know yourself a little bit more how god has equipped you uniquely and you're also going to catch the vision from matt and Jeremiah and Libby of what it looks like to be on mission as the body of Christ from Genesis all the way through the Bible. It's an awesome chance to learn, if nothing else. And then that second week, you're going to get some, again, tangible opportunities to go and respond to what God is doing in your life and get engaged in the things that we're up to as a church in the city and the nations. So check that out February 3 and 10 at the 9 a.m. service. The second opportunity, uh, we have an awesome thing happening this Friday night, January 31 at 6 p.m. It's adoptive and foster parent night out. How many of you need a night out, right? Just as parents in general. This one's for adoptive and foster care parents. Uh, If that's you, you can sign up on the link on our website. If you don't know, if you're here at Crossroads this morning and you don't know that we have a staff member dedicated to serving and loving on you as you serve and love kids that you fostered or adopted, man, you got to get plugged in with Christina. You got to get to know her. And uh, you can do that through our website or you can find her in between services. The last one, we are a family, right? We're a family here, and I remember when I was growing up, my small little church up in the UP, we'd all get together on a weeknight, and we'd just talk about the future, and we'd talk about what we're up to as a church. We'd talk about the vision that our staff had for the future. And uh, we're gonna do this. We haven't done it in a while, but we're gonna have a family meeting. This is a weeknight, so make sure you mark it down in your calendars. 6.30, we'll probably go till eight o'clock that evening. It's a Wednesday night, January 29. If you'd like to hear what we're dreaming up and speak into those things we covet your thoughts and your feedback and your prayer so come for that all right now the awesome privilege we have i'd like to first invite up david and liz Harrima with little baby flora and i think big sisters grace and hazel are coming up as well now i'll say as they come up what we believe about dedication is three things here at crossroads one is that these parents are dedicating their child to the Lord saying this even more than Flora is ours Flora is God's and he's got plans for her life and he loves Flora far more than we ever could that's one thing two is that they're dedicating themselves to the Lord their efforts saying we want to raise this child up in the way they should go so when they're old they don't depart from his ways and third We want to see all of us as a family. This is not a spectator sport. We want you, whether you're in the back row, and it might just be a high five and a smile on Sundays, or you're in the front row, your family, your friends, or you're a Sunday school teacher, we want you to know you're committing as well to helping David and Liz raise up their kiddos for the Lord. So now, one funny note. Last week when we met, you guys make some regular visits to the UP, people after my own heart. I know Flora, God's got some big plans for you with all those UP trips, uh, but more than that, I'm excited that you guys really do have a vision for how you wanna raise Flora. Goes well beyond vacations up to the UP, so David, why don't you share?
3: That's right, that's right, thank you. Uh, we chose Psalm 62, five to seven for Flora. Uh, it reads, "Yes, my f- yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. So these verses from Psalm 62 really stood out to us because this is what we pray for Flora. While Liz was pregnant with Flora, we went through a difficult season in our marriage. During this time, we realized how much we need the Lord to be our refuge. Prior to this, we both would have said that we put our trust in him but ultimately it took this trial to truly realize our need to depend on him. Our desire is that Flora will learn this about God. We will talk about these truths with her every day, with the prayer that she will know them as a young girl and as she grows up, truly depend on God as her mighty father. We pray that Flora has a desire to run to God and know that her, her hope is in him. We are so thankful for Flora and, that the ti- and the timing that God used to bring her into our family. Praise God. I love your heart as parents. Uh, Thanks for
2: sharing that with our our family. All right, if you guys don't mind, I'd love to pray for you and pray for Flora. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for bringing Flora into this world. Thank you for the opportunity that you've given to David and to Liz uh, to raise up this young soul, to know and to love you, to point her to you. And man, that passage just speaks of that. Um, So Lord, I just pray that you continue to equip them and guide them, give them your peace. And uh, for Flora, Lord, I pray even now that she would sense your spirit and as she grows and matures, she'll come to know that presence as her loving Heavenly Father. I pray she'll love you at a young age and that you'll make your face to shine on her and to be gracious to her, lift your countenance upon her and give her your peace. We love you and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. All right. Oh, yeah, you can head down this way. Sorry. All right, next up, uh, we've got Brandon and Gabe Hearth. You guys got some big stuff going on in your lives, but uh, I'm just going to turn it over to Brandon because I know one of the biggest, the biggest part of your lives is raising up these beautiful
4: little girls. We've got Addie and Noel. All right. Hey, everybody. I'm trying to figure out how am i going to hold this, hold her, and read from this Bible at the same time. So I might have to have a hold the, the mic here, Tim, or you got it? Uh, one of the things with these girls when they were both born, so this is Addie and Noel, and uh, when they were born, while they were still in the hospital, I started reading Romans 8 to them. And so I guess it's probably leave it to a pastor to not choose a verse, but choose an entire chapter for child dedication. I won't read it to you guys now. I'll read a little bit, okay, a little excerpt, but I love it. So this is our hope for them. It's Romans 8. Who then is the one who condemns? no one. Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is interceding for both of you. Who then shall separate you from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, and all these things were more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you two from the love of God that is Christ Jesus, our Lord. Mom, I need my Thank you. Time. That is that is just an amen thing right there, Crossroads. This is our hope: is that they know um, that as we fail them as parents, um, as they make mistakes, we all do, that no one's perfect, but nothing can separate us from God's love. And I just pray that they would know that, um, and that's the type of love that we want to raise them in. love it. Let me pray for you guys. Pray with me.
2: Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the hurts and what they mean to this this family. Uh, Thank you for the call that you've put on their life to head out to Chiang Mai uh, and all the things that are going on, Lord. Uh, I just love to see uh, Brandon and Gabe just loving on these kids and focusing on um, raising them in the way that they should go. I just ask your blessing on Addie and Noel, uh, these beautiful girls, uh, and I just pray that you would, yeah, let them know that love that they can never be separated from and that they could turn to you and uh, just put their hope in you at a young age. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. (laughs) Probably at the perfect time, right? Thanks, guys. All right, we have our last family coming up. This is uh, Paul and Jessica, and they've got Penelope. What a beautiful picture, oh my gosh. All right. Well, I didn't get a high five from Penelope last week, but she does blow kisses like a champ. You want to blow some kisses? <laughs> hey, we
3: got one. There we go.
2: All right. Well, I'm going to turn it over to Paul uh, to share the verse that they have uh, for, for Penelope.
3: Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, so we chose a few verses from Matthew 23, and I'll read from 23, 36 through 38 teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Um, So for me personally, I didn't grow up knowing the Lord, having a relationship with Jesus and um, finding Christ later in life. I've just witnessed the transformation of my own life, my own heart, um, how it's taken shape in our family and We just want Penelope to know the love of God and and give her love to God as soon as she can and raise that as the foundation for our family. Yeah, to further that, we both just have talked a lot about that if we loved the Lord early on in life as opposed to making it an obligation or a legalistic thing, it would have drastically changed how we both went through our younger years or our early adult years. Hopefully we're still in those. Um, But yeah, we're just really praying that Penelope not only wants to follow the Lord because it's what we're raising her, but because she truly, truly loves him. So, yeah,
2: that's it. All right, pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for Penelope. And Lord, I do pray with these parents that uh, she has a genuine, authentic faith Lord, that she falls in love with you. As I've prayed for the others at a young age. It's my prayer for my kiddos uh, that she would just sense your spirit at work in her life and that she would fall in love with you, uh, that she would commit her life to you and trust in you. Lord, uh, ask your blessing on this this family who's just engaged and involved here at Crossroads, who's loving you well, they do, Lord, uh, set an example for their little kiddo of what it looks like to be in love with Jesus and to be involved in this body. So just thank you for them. And uh, we just wait with expectation on what you're going to do in Penelope's life. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. So uh, we're going to move into our message this morning. And I just want to, if Dan wants to come on up, I'm going to pray for him. Congratulations for making it here for the service this morning, right? Dan, you made it all right? Let me pray. Jesus, uh, we love you. Uh, Thank you for your word. I just ask your blessing on Dan. I pray that you uh, hide him behind your cross and uh, give him the words and the guidance that he needs today uh, to articulate what you have for us. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks,
5: Tim. Love a good shout-out prayer. Welcome to Crossroads if you're new. um, Hope this could be a place for you to pray and worship and um, be encouraged, especially on days like today. We, uh, as a community, have been uh, looking to the book of Deuteronomy. If you would turn there to Deuteronomy chapter six um, as we consider some thoughts and challenges that I prepared for you today, hopefully to point you to Christ we've been studying um, a section of the scripture that takes the title Shema, which is the first word of that section, which just means to hear or to listen. It has become sort of a pledge of allegiance, if you will, for uh, people of God throughout the ages. It's actually something that's been um, pretty prevalent here for the staff at this church, as it has been heavy on the heart of Rod uh, throughout the years to use this also as kind of a you know, a banner for for what we're doing, the Shema. (laughs) A few years ago, Rod wanted to put the Shema in Hebrew on a t-shirt to give to all of us. And so as I arrived as the last person, I I was late, I arrived to this staff function and and they're all wearing the same shirt and it says Hebrew letters on there. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, what does that say? They go, it says Shema, and I'm like, no, it doesn't. There is, there is a different letter at the end of this. It says Shmats. <laughs> Shmats. Now we all have these shirts that say schmatz on, and we still wear them all the time. And so that's the kind of staff you're working with here, just, just a bunch of Shmats. Having kind of a schmatz day of my, my own right now as I was trying to come here. I had a bunch of ice on my window of my car. I was trying to get it off with my scraper, but it was too much, so I got the plastic shovel. I to sort of push it off, and I broke my window into a thousand pieces, the, the rear window of my car. And so, real schmatz, <laughs> it's the devil trying to slow me down. Joke's on him. I just took my wife's car. and so. Really slow and down. <laughs> all right, say amen if you made it to uh, Deuteronomy 6. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. Shema Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These are the commands I give to you this day. They're to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk upon them um, as you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them to your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you to the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to you a land with large, flourishing cities that you did not build, with houses and all kinds of good things that you did not provide, with wells that you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. When you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Fear the Lord your God and serve him only. Take your oaths in his name. And do not follow the other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God is among you, and he is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you. He'll destroy you from the face of this land. Amen. Some of you, uh, so the main focus that we've been focusing on are verses four and five. And you might be thinking all this, you know, exhortation here to love God is placed in a book of the Bible, uh, Deuteronomy, which is in the section of the Bible that our Bible often calls the law. Now, how are we going to have a law tell us to love? I don't need a mitzvah to tell me to love. That's going to take away all the fun parts of love. Why do I need a commandment to love? How do you know you're really loving if it's a commandment? And so I love thinking through this because actually Deuteronomy with its wider context is, is doing something different than just mere commandments. If you know about Deuteronomy, the Hebrew title of this is, these are the words, Devarim. The words, that's the first line of the book, the words of Moses as he spoke to the children of Israel just before they crossed the Jordan River. I always like to pause and think about this moment for Moses, because as he started in the, uh, you know, at the burning bush, saying to God, I can't speak, God says to him, go tell, go tell Pharaoh, go tell the children of Israel, go tell him, he says, I can't tell him. And then all the way along this story, now we arrive at Moses, no more Aaron, no more help. He's here, he, he, this is what he has to say. These are the words of Moses. Deuteronomy actually is quite a, quite a remarkable book, as it has been quoted almost 400 times directly throughout the rest of the Bible. I'm starting to think that it's Jesus' favorite book of the Bible. Deuteronomy is consisting of three speeches that Moses gives to the children of Israel before they part ways. He knows that he's not going to go into the Promised Land. And so these are literally his famous last words. The words that he's giving to them as his last chance to encourage them to do something before they go. And what is the main substance of this letter? Uh, Of his speeches? Urgently pleading with them to stay the course. He's pleading with them for fidelity to remain loyal to God. He knows they're going into Canaan. He knows that there's all kinds of temptations. and op- They don't have the options uh, of the other gods in the wilderness. They're eating out of God's hand. They're, they're, they're able to... It's easy there, in a sense, because they don't have all the options. They're about to go into the Promised Land, inundated with all kinds of t- temptations. And so he is pleading with them to stay the course. With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might is what it's gonna take. So, we have been drilling down for this last month on those three lines. And so, we've gotten to the third line here, which is with all of your might. Some of your versions might say with all of your strength. Now, I hate to burst your bubble, but the Hebrew word here is not strength. And so, for all of you selfie fitness uh, fanatics out there, you have to take the post down at your New Year's resolution. Hashtag with all your strength. I'm canceling it. Um, It's actually the word owed." It's a very good word for you to memorize because it's a common word. It's used hundreds of times. And times if you can't remember it, I was thinking of a sentence. If you know a girl named May, which we do have a May that goes here. I don't know if you're here today. May owed me money. That's one way of, remember, just say may owed me money. May owed. This is an adverb, pretty much every single time that it's used, so it's modifying, it's like, uh, it, it, it means exceeding, it means much. Uh, typically, it's just the word very, very hot, very cold, very mad, my windshield is very broken. <laughs> First page of the Bible has the word, well, you know, five days God says it is good, and on the sixth day he said, this is tov meod. this is very good. Now, how am I going to uh, read that into this? Because this is the first time that this word is not used as an adverb, it's used as a noun. It's love the Lord your God with all your. Mayod, Me- with your. <laughs> Sorry, RJ. Lots of breath coming out of this mouth. For your very. Kind of difficult one to translate for your much, you know, you, you used to be a lot muchier and now you, you lost your muchness and you got to get that. I don't know you're, you're very love the Lord, your God with all your mayode. Now, this is kind of an interesting development here. Uh, the plot thickens when the word is translated into Aramaic as wealth and in Greek it's used as power. So now I'm starting to see the shape of what's going on here. It's, it's that the development of this exhortation by Moses is, yes, you have to, your heart and your soul, you have to love God, but this is not something that just stays there. It goes out into your influence. It goes out into the things of your life that you actually do. It goes, let the honor that you have for God flow into your lifestyle and into the opportunities that you have in this world. Moses' exhortation with all of these lines is really telling us that there is not room in in the life of the followers of God for compartmentalization. God is a holistic, wholehearted, uh, all-encompassing, community-affecting type of God, and his representatives have to live their lives in the same way if they're going to represent him well. And so, as they go into the promised land, the encouragement is, with all your life in a whole-encompassing, community-affecting, wholehearted way, represent God as you love him. This will then, in turn, become a, a means through which they experience true life and bring the blessing of the kingdom that they are supposed to bring into this world, into the promised land. So, that's all the thoughts I have on my ode. But uh, one of the questions that I get um, about this, the Shema, as the college ministry has been studying it for the last few months as well, is how do you live this out what is an example or a way for all these things to work together in somebody's life? And I think that's a great question, because sometimes we can just get lost in um, you know, the theory of all of this, but are there any examples or practical stories that we can see that would lead us in any way? And there actually is one other story in the Old Testament that has a direct connection to the Shema, and uses all of these words. And so please, if you will, turn to 2 Kings chapter 22. Let me set up a little bit of a backdrop here. After Moses and the Israelites parted ways, they uh, continued to grow and become a powerful nation, and they decided that they needed some uh, leadership other than God, and so they put up kings. As they set up kings, um, you know, about four kings into it, the country completely goes into civil war. Uh, you know, just after Solomon, and there was uh, two different parts of uh, of the country now. We have the northern tribes are called Israel, and the southern tribes called Judah, which is the Hebrew word for Texas. (laughs) It really kind of functions in a similar way uh, throughout the story here. And uh, so by the time we get to 2 Kings 22, all of Israel has been conquered, and now we're just left with Judah. But Judah isn't all hunky-dory at this time either. There have been five and a half decades of complete sin happening throughout this country. This is part and parcel to the leadership of Hezekiah's son, Manasseh. Manasseh reigns for 55 years, the longest time any uh, of the kings of Judah he, he holds the record. And during his tenure, he not only set up all of the idols that his father had taken down, but he added, and then some. Manasseh committed mass murder. He is responsible for the death of the great prophet Isaiah. And according to Jewish tradition, he was placed into a tree, and the tree was sawed in half. Which reminds me of that verse in Hebrews 11, and there were some who were sawn asunder. He then also set up the detestable God, Molech, and sacrificed his own son to please this God. This is Manasseh. Manasseh created a culture that I would like to describe as the exact opposite of what Moses was telling them to do. It's the anti-shema. It's like, hate the Lord with all your heart. Rebel against God with all of your soul. Do the wrong thing with all of your might at all costs. His son, Amon takes over and reigns for two years. Starts doing the same things, but then his officials assassinate him to end this. Which then leads us to our main character, of the story I want to tell you. His name is Josiah. He resumes the throne at age eight and reigns for 31 years. Now, Josiah, when he was about 26 years old, uh, geopolitically, they're kind of in what is called an intermediate period. The uh, Assyrians, the Babylonians, and the Egyptians are all in a recuperating phase. They're kind of out of gas from all the fighting they've been doing, and so they're rebuilding their economies. Josiah also, as the expression goes, when the cats are away, the mice will play. He is starting to build up their economy and culture. And and I don't know why, but it seems like there's some sort of desire for um, some sort of, to get back to their roots maybe. Um, Because what happens is Josiah decides to fund the renovation of their 300-year-old temple that Solomon built. So, he gets the money together, as you can see in 2 Kings 22, and he starts to uh, pay for the temple to be renovated. As they're shampooing the carpets and fighting about what color to paint the lobby, as any, everyone knows, happens in church work, you know, and uh, the high priest, Hilkiah, is digging around in a closet somewhere, and he finds a scroll. Now, this just goes to show where they're at as a society. He doesn't even know what it is. It's the Bible. They've lost the Bible, and they don't even recognize it. He pulls it out, and what he pulls out is either the the Torah itself, the first five books of the Bible, or probably more likely, the book of Deuteronomy, which we've been studying. And I... Coincidentally, if any of you took Rod's challenge of reading Deuteronomy this month, you're kind of in the same shoes, especially if you never read it before. You're in the same place as them. And so uh, try not to overthink the comparison here of what happens. But um, he then gives it to the accountant and, uh, you know, Shaphan, he, he takes it to the king. And look in verse um, 8 through uh, 10 there. Shaphan Secretary goes to the king, reports to him, you know, the budget. uh, And then at the end of the day, he just says, oh, and by the way, Hilkiah gave me this book. And he reads it to the king. Presumably has never heard these words before. Verse 11, when Josiah heard the words of the book of the covenant, he tore his robes. I like to just sort of pause there and think about that response. Because if anything, what it is, is an act of humility. To hear God's word and then to respond with such a way where we fall down on our knees and tear our robes and say, have mercy on me, is, I think, the best response to uh, the word of God. Just when you read it with humility, I think that God does this in our hearts. Let that be kind of an underlying uh, theme here. And what I want to do is show you through the next chapter that what he does as a response is described in 23, verse 25, as such. Neither before Josiah nor after him was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all of his heart with all of his soul, and with all of his strength, in accordance with the law of Moses. Whatever he's doing here in this chapter is something that is described as living out, in a very specific way, the Shema. And so I have a few thoughts here uh, to sort of think through what that looks like. If we want to live out the Shema, look at the end of verse 2 of 23. Josiah read in the hearing all the words of the Book of the Covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. If we want to start living out the Shema, we need as much of the Bible as possible. We need all the words. I like this inkling that he has to read aloud all of the words. There's a trend in our culture these days to uh, protect some people who don't know what the Bible says from some of the stuff that we don't really like. And so we just had to give them, uh, you know, certain verses here and certain verses there, or maybe we'll make a nice picture with a sunset and put a verse on it for them, and and that's really the interaction we want to control that they have with God's word. And I wonder is, what are we really afraid of? Are we afraid that God cannot still speak to a humble heart through His word? Can someone pick up the Bible and say, God, just show me who you are, and he still be able to reveal himself to them? I think rather than hiding the God's word from people or, or, or encouraging them to maybe read a, a pastor's book or something, or encouraging them to go to a seminar or some sort of motivational speech or, or just skip right to giving them money or something like that, we do need to put the word of God in the hands of as many people as possible. They need all of it. Since I'm not getting that many amens right now, I want to tell you a little bit of a story about my own life. I was spoiled on the Bible growing up. And is a win-win for me because I did not like to read. And so I just was just around the Bible world. I, I know I say this before, I grew up, some people say I grew up in the church. I grew up in a church building just connected. There was a house connected to the church. I, I, am, I am inundated with the Bible stories, and I'm thankful for it. I am thankful for the flannel graph. I thank you. I, amen. I did not like vegetables, but I like veggie tales. Give them to me. Give me the stories. Give me the Sunday school. I'm thankful for the Sunday school. I'm thankful for the education that I had, which was at a private school that that did Bible classes every single day. Stories of the Bible. I know the stories. But I did not have any of my own relationship with God. Bible then really became a weapon or a tool that I could use at my own disposal. It became a way for me to prove that I'm correct and you're not. It became a way, instead of a means of grace and forgiveness, one for condemnation and othering, it became a way for me to avoid an actual relationship with God. Because I know the way the words and verses work, so I know I'm okay. And so I don't need to talk to God about anything. All in all, the sum total of this is that I would just feel like I have no connection with God whatsoever. And in my late teens, I call my dad and we just have a good relationship. I was just talking to him about the faith and I just said, this is not a thing for me right now. I can't feel God. I don't have any relationship with God. And it's a very simple answer to me. He just asked me a question. Have you ever read the Bible? And I'm like, no. And you know why? It's because when I start reading, I start yawning unbelievably. And when I yawn, my eyes start watering like the most watering eyes of a yawn ever. And everyone thinks I'm crying because I read the Bible and that's not true. I can't do this he's like, just find a small book of the Bible and just try and get through it and then pray about it and let me know what happens, I gotta go. And then he, you know, <laughs> let me go. It's like, okay, so I flip through, I find First Peter, I'll never forget. Uh, I get just through the first wave of yawns and I get to the, uh, the end of the chapter and I start to see these words. You have not been born again by perishable seed, But you have been born again through imperishable seed, the living and abiding word of God. For men are like grass, and the glory of man are like flowers of the field, for the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God will last forever. And that word is the gospel that was preached to you. I just remember looking at this thinking, I have no idea what this is talking about. And my heart just danced because that is a humble moment for me to say, I actually don't know everything. And my faith was in the hospital at that moment, and the Bible became the IV drip that I needed to start to, to come back to life. And I became passionate about knowing God through His Word. If you haven't listened to the On Mission Crossroads podcast where we interviewed Annie Ostrander, who gave her um, video update two weeks ago, go and listen to that because you'll hear a story of a gal from West Michigan who just had it on her heart to go into the refugee camps in, in, in Lebanon and just pour her life out to translating the Bible to people who have no idea what it says. And as she was talking, she just kept saying, we're putting it in their language and we're passing it out and thousands of people are getting to hear the story of Jesus for the first time. We're putting the words into their heart and they're turning to Jesus and saying, I never knew. I had no idea this is what Jesus was all about and this is who Jesus was. And Annie stands on the shoulders of Josiah. She stands on the shoulders of so many people throughout history who have fought blood, sweat, and tears in order to put this remarkable book in our hands so that God could continue to do his work through his word. And I'm not here to tell you that there's magic tricks in the verses of the Bible and that if you do it in a certain way, you're going to get something out of it. I'm here to say that when you humbly approach the, the Bible and you say, Show me who you are and show me, Jesus. I promise you, the Word becomes flesh. And we are able to see the turbulent, vibrating Christ behind all of the words of the Bible. They're pointing to him, showing us his heart, showing us a vision for a redeemed life and and, and, and our redemption for our, our culture and our own lives and our own marriages and giving us hope. The sword of the Spirit is alive and active Sharp and able to help us discern in this culture. We need a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Maybe 2020 is a time to re up. I think we need to double down on the Bible. And if you have just sort of lost your passion, your connection to God, I want to encourage you to maybe think about getting into all the words, reading them and asking God to show who he is to you and show you who you are to him. We wanna live out the Shema, we need all the words. I'm also struck by the people that he invited to the reading of all the words. Verses one and two of 23, the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah. The people of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets. Matter of fact, it was all the people <laughs> from the least to the greatest. It gave them the Bible. I think that if we want to live out the Shema, it's going to be a very hard thing for us to do. And we need all the people. This is uh, an inclination that I guess Josiah had, and I, and I think it's a, a brilliant one for him to, to bring everybody together in unity. They're about to do something really hard. As they start to take, um, you know, uh, pick a fight with the idolatry in their culture, this is gonna be very costly to them. It's gonna be costly economically, uh, you know, the guilds and the farmers and all the things that are going on, uh, the, the trades work that are happening for the idols, it's gonna cost them to have to reform all of this. It's going to cost them socially because of all the cultural norms that they've grown up in and all the things that they have to do. I mean, if you could continue to read, they just do the Passover feast at some point here. And I don't even know if it's the right time of year or whatever. They're just like, we got to just start new trends here and, and get into a new plan and, and change this because it's going to change our lifestyle. It's costly, and the last thing you need to do when you're trying to do a culture change is have petty fights and arguments with your own people. I think one of the biggest schemes of the enemy in our day is division. Dividing and conquering. Because the more that we can get petty with one another, and the more that we can fight with one another about things that don't, aren't necessarily primary, then we will start to become, uh, I think more and more useless. Remember the powerful prayer that Jesus had in John 17 where he says, I pray for them that they become one as we are one. I in them, they in me, as I am in you. Why? Because when they become one, the world will know that you have sent me and that you love them just as you loved me. This is the unity. That comes from all of us coming together. I like to, I like to think about unity um, like a puzzle. At the college retreat this last weekend, we did a race for uh, like a 350-word puzzle. And uh, I was just looking at these pieces and being an individualistic type that I am, I just started thinking, I like these pieces. I like that they're all different. There's the two pieces that are alike. You could get caught up in that. My piece is actually kind of, I like the shape of it. It's, the colors are very beautiful, and I've got all the good colors in proper proportion. The edges are nice and smooth, and the rounded, you know, and this piece, I'm just such a good piece. It's a lot better than that guy's piece. That guy, I've never seen a shape like that before. That's, that's not the point of a puzzle piece. A puzzle only goes together one way. And when it goes together, and everything is where it should be, in unity, then we see the picture that the Creator meant for us to see. I think that this is what Jesus is talking about. When we become one, as they are one, then the world will see through us a mosaic picture of the crucified Christ. We'll see through us all a confirmation that God did indeed send His Son to die and does indeed love the world as much as He loved us and His Son. I think a lot of us believe that unity is some sort of uh, thing out in, out somewhere and, and we're never going to get it because there's more than one denomination. How are we ever going to have unity with all these different denominations? But I think that I actually believe you have unity. It's just a matter of us living in that unity or not. When I read verses like Galatians 3.28 where Apostle Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free, male or female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. I think this is something you have. You have unity. We just have to respond to it and believe in it and live it out like it's actually our reality. Remember the verse in Ephesians chapter 2 where it says that through his blood he has provided peace and he has torn down the wall of hostility that was between us. Unity is ours. So right now, maybe even think about it. Is there any relationships in your life where uh, where it has been, where they're on the outs? Is anybody coming to mind where you, where you know that you could take one step closer to them, and that would be you acting out the unity that you've been given with that person? The world does not need to see a bunch of Christians looking at each other saying, no, we're not connected. The world needs to see people who look at them and say, by all accounts, yeah, you should be my enemy. But because of Christ, you are my brother. You belong in my heart. You belong at my table. And I'm going to confirm that with my action. And maybe it's just one step closer to you. Forgiveness is for you. Grace is for you. Redemption is for all of us. Is there anybody that's coming to mind? Because if we're gonna have a Shema lifestyle and we're gonna go to bat against the idols of our culture, we need all the people. 2020, maybe it's something to think about. Last thing I'd like to share with you is the endeavor that they go on. Verses four all the way to 24 are pretty much dealing with one thing, a complete purge of all of the idolatry in their culture. As you could read this, you can see that Josiah and everybody who pledged um, reformation with him, they start the temple and they start removing things that were set up in the temple, like the idol of Baal. Can you just imagine the temple being shared with Baal, Asherah, God's the sun. God's the moon. There's quarters in the temple that have been developed for uh, male prostitution. To, they, they're living there. Um, there's, there's all kinds of idols moving out into uh, the, the Hinnom Valley. This is where they set up Moloch. Ironically, this is the same place Jesus compares to hell. Um, then they start to go out into the countryside to all the high places. Now, this is something that um, I'd like to just sort of think through. We might not have the same type of altars set up, but the ancients believed that if the higher they could get um, on the hills, the closer and more likely their offering was to go to be received from the gods. We might not have the hills, we might not have the altars, but I know we have the high places in our minds and in our hearts. Something I'd like for you to consider is an invitation from Josiah. An invitation from the Shema, one by one, to take down the idols. Living a life of the idols, we know, just continues to drive itself into slavery and into the ground. Just as you even just think through the obvious ones. I mean, once we put up our career as the high place, put it in the high place, the highest place, We start to live as though we are a slave to our job, become workaholics, and start to see relationships crumbling around us. I mean, ask yourself, is there anything that's higher in my priorities than God? Uh, Is there anything that you do not want God's opinion about would be another way of looking at this. Is there anything that you got going on that when God comes by, you don't make eye contact with him because you don't want to know his opinion about it? We put our families up in the high place and then we become uh, living through the children and then re- they become resentful towards us because we're too controlling. We put marriage up in the high place. Higher than God. If you're not married, sometimes it's... it's. Uh, becomes a place of control. And if you are married, sometimes it becomes a place of micromanagement and obsession. And then it drives it into the ground. If we we put our pleasure and comforts up in the high place, the thing that promises an antidote so quickly becomes a poison for our life. If we put our uh, virtue and and noble causes up into that high place and start to worship that, it becomes the thing that uh, drives our obsession in life. But really what ends up happening is the enemy. Uh, You become obsessed with that enemy that you can never really vanquish, and your life is just a constant uh, try and fail, and and it's just miserable. If we put our morality or our religious uh, actions in the high place, then we become a people who who's become self-righteous and put the bar so high that we can never actually get there. And then the only thing we can do to feel better about ourselves is judge the other people who aren't that good at, as good at this as us. It's hell. It's a lifestyle that just is completely, it, ta- it, I, I, it, it takes from you and gives you nothing if anything that I've even scratched at starts to uh, you know, come to your mind and come to your heart, then I would challenge you to uh, take an issue with the idols. Take an issue with the idols this year so much, one by one, that we become a people who are known for the same thing Josiah is known for, which is that there's nobody like this crew who loved God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their strength. So I'd like to invite the band back up as I just sort of think about the ending of this story, which I'm sure you're interested in after all this happens. You could go on and read in verse 26, what actually happens is, um, okay, well, Second Chronicles tells us specifically, Josiah dies in a freak accident. There's this arrow that gets shot in the sky and you didn't even see it coming and it just went right between his armor and he dies. Then Israel goes back into idolatry and, um, and then they go into exile. Oops, did I do that? I hit my mic on accident. They go into exile. Now if your heart right now is starting to think, well, good grief, what's the point if the legacy doesn't even continue on one generation after this great reformation of Josiah? Well, I would say to you, I don't think the plan was ever that Josiah become the person who does away with all the idolatry and the sin of Israel. I think Josiah is a person that points us to the person who does away with idolatry and sin and bondage. Just a few hundred years after Josiah, Jesus was born. Jesus becomes much more than Josiah ever could be. The one who was up in the high place, who rightfully belonged in the high place, did not hang on to the high place. He hung on a cross and he did that for our freedom and for our ability to be able to take down the idol that's got you in its grip. And as Colossians says, as he was nailed to the cross, he rendered the power of the idols and the gods uh, useless. So if you uh, wanna come to Jesus today in prayer, then I would encourage you to come to him and surrender your idol. Smash it, you know, proverbially. Uh, to, to come to him for unity and encouragement if there's any relationships in your life that need uh, reconciliation, he can provide you with the, the ability to do that. And maybe if there's any of you who don't know him, but you just have a new passion to read, the words that maybe today, is the day you start doing that. So thank you for your time. Let's pray. Bringing all the people together. You're speaking to us with all of your words. We're surrendering to you all of our idols. Give us the courage to be able to do that. We thank you, Lord, for the vision, the passion that we can surrender our lives to you so that we can love you with all of our heart, soul, and our strength. We Thank you, Jesus, for providing for us freedom to be able to do this. You're our champion. We're so proud of you. Help us to do right by you um, as we continue on this week. Amen.
1: Just the voices in you.
5: my friends be encouraged even if it's snowy outside you know we have the verse though your sins may be as crimson they will be made white as snow so just taking the picture of course a picture of snow would do the trick I think (laughs) now that I mention it all right Uh, receive the blessing of the Lord as we go the Lord will bless you and the Lord will keep you let's make his face to shine upon you with favor Lifting his countenance upon you and giving you his peace, he's been doing this for the people of God for thousands of years. So even now, we let your blessing rain. We believe in you and thank you for your blessing, God. Amen. Are you driving safe, everyone?